introduce it properly. Um, today we are going to stay right on. I think this is like tomorrow's DAF, um, but we're going to very likely this will be a two-parter because it is a uh, momentous story actually about uh, how Hillel became became Hillel, how Hillel became became the great leader of the Sanhedrin and perhaps. Um, I wouldn't say most importantly, because there's a lot of really important things about Hillel. Uh, there's nobody in history has had more day schools named after them than Hillel. But um, <laughs> perhaps uh, most significantly, he became the beginner of a dynasty of leadership that went for seven generations and culminated with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Uh, and, uh, and so that may be the most significant thing, but we got a lot of significant things about Hillel. But this is this, one of the foundational stories of Hillel. I'm sure you all know this story in Masachet Yoma about Hillel um, rising to uh, being, being made famous for uh, when he was very poor and he couldn't get into the Beit Midrash. And, uh, and then he went on top of the skylight and it snowed and very famous story. Uh, look it up in Yoma, Dafel Amadalat, I think it is. Um, but, uh, but this is, this is a fa real foundational story, but we're actually using it to talk about a lot of issues of methodology because it's going to open the door to us to look at the core uh, principles of Midrash Halakha, all right? So let's just get into it right away. Uh, the Psukim we're gonna come back to, so we're gonna start with the Mishnah. Here's the Mishnah you could see in source three. Uh, it is our Mishnah, it's the beginning of the sixth parak. Elu devarim bapesach dochin et hashabbat. Since the following are things regarding the Korban Pesach, which trump, so I can't use that word anymore, which, um, which overcome, which push away Shabbat. Uh, meaning that even though they involve a violation of Shabbat, we do them anyways for the Korban Pesach. And the list is Shechitato, and we're gonna use that as our model, which is slaughtering, something normally not allowed on Shabbat. We shech the Korban Pesach on Shabbat, this, by the way, is not only on the daf, it's also on the year, because Pesach this year falls on Shabbat. I'll explain what that means in a moment. Uzrikat uh, damo, so the Uzrikat adam on the Mizbeach, which normally would be prohibited on Shabbat, uh, nonetheless is done for the Korban Pesach. Michui krevav, which means cleaning out the innards. When you shecht a Korban, uh, the one of the first things that happens after you've done the actual avodah, putting the dam on the mizbeach, is the animal is flayed and filleted. We take the skin off and then cut the pieces up and wash the pieces off. And then some of the pieces go on the mizbeach, some of the people's pieces are given to the coin, some of the pieces are given to us, etc. But all of the parts of the animal are washed. So that happens. Ekter chalavad, the chalavim, those parts of the animal which are not allowed to be eaten, which belong on the mizbeach, um, are go are burned on the mizbeach all on Shabbat, right? Aval sliato, which means roasting it, which means roasting the edible parts, not the skin and not the fats. Um, that is done in your home where you're going to be eating it, which is inside the city of Yerushalayim. Bahadachat krevav, cleaning off the kirbaim, the kishkas which are going to be eaten, enam dochim, which means for those you wait till Saturday night and then do it. Now, and here we have an interesting machloka between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. 
which then goes on later, and it's Rabbi versus his student Rabbi Akiva. And it is a famous machloket which played out in Shabbat in the 19th parak about issues relating to Brit Milan and Shabbat also. Um, so picking the animal up and schlepping it from uh, on Shabbat or walking it from outside of Tchum. And chatichat yabalto. Let's say the animal has like a cyst or something, which is a mum over, a temporary mum, which can be removed from the as far as mumin goes. And then you can offer it, but you can normally not do that on Shabbat. A nam dochim, so you can't do that on Shabbat. You can't carry the animal on Shabbat. Those things could be done, and that's the machloket. But our focus is on the first line. Now, it's critical to understand when is Pesach? What date is Pesach? Uh, 15. Right. So the answer is the best answer that you give to any question I ever ask you, which is what's the best answer? It depends. depends. It depends. Right. It depends. Right. If you are speaking in colloquial Hebrew or speaking to somebody that you're going to give tens of thousands of dollars to bring your family to their hotel, then you talk about Pesach or even Passover. If, on the other hand, you are speaking um, from the perspective of the Torah, then um, the festival that we're talking about, the seven-day festival that starts at the Seder, is called Matzot. And Pesach is the 14th of Nisan. What we call Erev Pesach is actually Pesach. And that festival starts at midday or in the morning and goes until midnight or all night. And that's a one day or half a day or three quarters of a day festival that we have that's called Pesach. So when we speak about Pesach falling on Shabbat, we mean exactly like this year, the 14th of Nisan falling on Shabbat. And the Seder is Saturday night. Now, when that happens, we have to bring the Korban Pesach Shabbat afternoon. How are you allowed to do that? So the answer is that the Shechita and these other things of the Pesach may be done. Other things which either could have been done before, like bringing it up and taking off the cyst, or things that could wait till afterwards, like cleaning off the edible parts and roasting it, those you don't do on Shabbat. Okay, now, that's all the setup for us to learn this piece of Gemara, which tells us the story of Hillel. Tanu Rabbanan. Now, Tanu Rabbanan tells us that we're about to hear a Braita, and we're going to see sort of an embryonic form of that Braita later on today in the Shi'ur. Right? But this is the treatment in the Bavli. Halachazu nit'alma bimibnei b'tera. Now, the mention of b'nei b'tera here is a little bit difficult. Uh, but let's first read the whole line. I'll go back to the difficulty. This halacha was um, was forgotten by Bnei B'tera. Pamachat chal arba'asa liop b'shabbat. One time the 14th fell on Shabbat. Shachachu v'lo yaduim pesach tochet ha-shabbatim lav. And they, Bnei B'tera, who are presented here as the rabbis in charge of the Mikdash, forgot whether or not we do Pesach on Shabbat. Now, before we go any further, the most glaring question has to be asked. How could anybody forget what to do when Pesach falls on Shabbat? After all, Pesach will be falling on Shabbat this year. So what are some of the unusual things that we will do this year that we don't do in a normal year? Havdalah. What? Havdalah. 
Okay, but that we do it other Yamim Tov in the fall on Saturday night. And by the way, okay. we, did it, we did it at the second Seder last year, right? Okay. Yeah. Or years when it falls out on Shabbat. It'll, 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 be, a late, it'll, be, a late, it'll be a late preparation because of Hachanah. <laughs> Couldn't prepare for Shabbat on Yom Tov. Right? So things will be late. Um, yeah, but I want think think chametz. What do you do for the the uh, motze for the kala? Okay, good. Now we're talking. So first of all, um, on Shabbat, everybody davens hashkama. The whole world davens hashkama. I don't know if you remember this, but everybody davens early. I'm going to have to mute you guys. Somebody's got some noise coming out here. Um. Um. um we all daven early, Shabbat morning. Friday night, we eat a regular meal of chametz. However, what many people do is they'll make kiddush and then go out to the back porch or somewhere else outside and eat a little bit of bread over an, a paper bag and then throw the paper bag away and then clean their clothes off and come in and have what's essentially a Pesach meal, but without bread and without matzah, of course. Shabbat morning, we all daven very early and then have our first meal at 8, 8, 39 o'clock and do the same thing. And what many people will do is they will stop that meal after two courses, bench, get up, take a little walk for about five minutes, come back, wash again, do the same thing to have your third meal before 1040 or whatever the time is, and then throw the chametz out. By the way, what do we do on Thursday night? Which is two nights before the Seder. Uh, we do Bidikar Chametz, not the night before Pesach, because it's Shabbat, we do it two nights before. What do we do Friday morning at 11 sure. something? We burn the Chametz. So we're doing everything a day early. The fast of the Bechorot is on Thursday, not on Friday. So there's all sorts of things that are different, some of them critical and Doraita things, and some of them late minhagim, like the fast of the Bechorot. But in any case, that's how that all plays out. So things are very, very different. And we all remember that. We all remember that. And if we don't remember that, our neighbor remembers it. And if the worst comes to worst, the neighborhood rabbi remembers it. Here we have the Beit HaMikdash. And it turns out that Pesach is going to fall on a Saturday, on a Shabbat. And nobody knows whether or not the Korban Pesach is brought on Shabbat. It's kind of staggering. So I remember I, I, uh, I once heard uh, Professor Lyman uh, speak about this, and he made a suggestion, which I haven't heard anybody else make. Stupid. But I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard any good explanation for this phenomenon. And, um, and I believe that this explanation really works. Um, we know from a lot of sugyot that the Sadducees, for quite a while during the latter half of the era of the second Beit HaMikdash, from the year 100 BCE until the destruction, for quite a while, the Sadducees had control over the Beit HaMikdash. There's the famous Sugyan Masachet Yoma, where the Beit Din had to make the Kohen Gadol take an oath that he would not change one iota of the instruction. And the reason was because they had to suspect him that he was really a Sadducee who would do things differently on the inside. And the Gemara tells a story about a Kohen Gadol who was a Sadducee and who was killed miraculously on his way out of the Kodesh Kodashim. They found his body there because he had done the Torah wrong. I'm not concerned with the historicity of the story, but the point is 
that for quite a while, the sectarians were in charge of the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, we do have a sectarian calendar. It's not the same sect, but we do have a sectarian calendar from Qumran. And then the sectarian calendar, which was a lunar solar calendar, three months made up of exactly 13 weeks, made up a quarter of the year, which means that, that um, the Rosh Chodesh every three months was on the same day, because of 13 exact weeks. And so it was 91 days, made three months. And Rosh Chodesh of Nisan, Tammuz, Tishrei, and Shvat were, and Tevet were always on a Wednesday. And they did that in, because Wednesday was the day that God put the sun in the sky and Yom Breshit. And we have that calendar. So Professor Lyman's suggestion is, is that if the Tzedukim had control of the Beit HaMikdash for a generation or two, Pesach would have never fallen out on any day but a Tuesday. And therefore, it's reasonable that at some point in the first century BCE, as you'll find out, this story takes place in the second half of the first century BCE, meaning between the year 50 and, and zero, um, that we got control of Beit HaMikdash again. And the calendar went back to the normal way, which means it could be any day. And then it fell out on Shabbat, and they didn't know what to do. Okay, the mention of B'nai B'teira here is a little difficult because Rabbi Huda ben B'teira, um, who is uh, well known for several stories in Gemara, actually lived in the town of Nitzivin, which is in Iraq. But evidently there was part of the family of Bnei Batera, maybe actually spelled a little differently, that were the leadership in Yerushalayim at the time that this happened, which is again around the year, we'll call it uh, 50 or 40 BCE. Now let's hear the story. That's all the background. They said, does anybody know whether Pesach is Doche Shabbat? Amru, and I, what I did is I put the conversation piece here. Everything that, that the leaders said to Hillel is in green, and everything that Hillel said back is underlined in bold, so we can kind of see who's what. Klum, now this is what they say to each other. It's in light green. Klum Pesach Is there anybody that knows the halacha? Amrulahem, they said, Adam echad yesh mi bavel. We have somebody here who made aliyah from bavel. The Hillel habavli shmo. He's called Hillel Habavli, right? Shishimesh Shnei Gedolei Hador. He served, which means he was an, a, a learning apprentice to, to the two great leaders of the generation, Shmaya Avtalion. Now, Shmaya Avtalion are somebody that you hear very little about in rabbinic literature because they're really before the period. They are at the end of the period of what we call the Zugot. You know Shmaya Avtalion well from the beginning of Pirkei Avot. Because, sorry, from the Mishnah in, in, uh, in Chagiga that talks about the Zugot and mentions that Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi, Yossi ben Yochanan and uh, Shimon ben Shetach and Yehuda ben Tabai, the, the Zugot, and the famous Machloket about Smicha on a Korban on Yom Tov. And Shmaya Avtalion are in there. Shmaivavtalion are not mentioned very much in Shas, but this fellow Hillel was evidently a good student of the two of them. He'll know the answer. So let's ask him. They sent for him. And by the way, Hillel lived in Yericho, so they may have sent to Yericho. Amrulo, they said, Do you know the answer? So evidently, this is supposed to be the answer, man. And they called him. Now, by the way, this sugya could be very simple. Hillel could say yes or no. We know the answer is yes. And that'd be the end of the sugya. 
I know that it's Docha Shabbat. That's not what happens. That's what makes this interesting. Amar lahem. All right, we're in the, in the, um, and you'll see what the color coding is here. And by the way, how does any Jew answer a question? With another question. Right. So the proper answer to that is, how should he answer it? Right. With, two, with two other questions. Right. So, so Hillel said, what is there? Only one Pesach that we have? We have 200 Psachim every year that are Docha Shabbat. Now, that is a very strange statement to make. So what's he talking about? So we'll see. So they said, where'd you get that from? And now he says, now, let's take a look at what he's talking about. When it comes to the Korban Pesach, as you can see in source one, it says, Israel should do the Pesach in its time. And by the way, it says a second time. Do this Pesach in its time. Okay? And when it comes to the Korban Tamid, which is brought every day, it says, Right? So now Hillel just says, Hey, <clears throat> both regarding the Korban Tamid, which is brought every day, and the Pesach, the word Mo'ado, meaning in its time, it must be brought in its time, is stated. And now he makes the analogy. Ma mo'ado ha'amur b'tamid docheta ha'shabbat, just like with the tamid. Mo'ado means you do it every day in its time, every day, even Shabbat. How do I know, by the way, that it's brought on Shabbat? Because when the Torah says to on Shabbat to bring a musaf, it says al olat ha'tamid. Right? You bring it along with the olat ha'tamid. Okay? And so therefore, Moado on Pesach also is Doche Shabbat. Now let's look at the reasoning here. He says, let's think about what the word Moado means. Moado means in its time. You must bring the Pesach in its time. That could mean a lot of that could mean bring it in its time, except for Shabbat. Except that the same word Moado is used for the Tamid, and the Tamid explicitly is brought on Shabbat. So Moado becomes a powerful word. It means you always bring it in its time. Always, every year you bring it in its time, just like every day you bring the Tamid in its time. And therefore the Pesach is brought in its time, even if that time Shabbat. And that, by the way, should be enough. What do we call that style of derivation? Where you have a word in one place, the same word in another place. <laughs> we, and, we, and we say what we know about the first word, we apply to the second word. Over Homer, right? No, 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 it's a hechish. It's so. called a Gzerah Shabbat. But not so quick. Not so quick. And sure, when you're closer than you thought. All right, we're going to see. The odd Kalvachomerhu. What else did Hillel say? I got a Kalvachomer. Now, by the way, he's, this is now either his second or third argument. Umatamid Shein Anosh Karet Dochet Ashabat. 
By the way, what does the Torah say happens if you don't bring the Korban Pesach? You get a punishment of karet. What happens if you don't bring the Korban Tamid? You didn't bring the Korban Tamid. You didn't do what God said. But that's it. So he says there's a Kal Homer. Now, by the way, notice, what does the word ma mean in Exera Shavah? The word ma in Exera Shavah, which is always followed by af, is translated as just like. Just like Moado here is on Shab even on Shabbat, similarly on Pesach. What does the word ma mean in a Kalvachomer? How would you translate it? So the word ma in if, a Kalvachomer is if, if, exactly. If, if a Tamid, which ain't enosh karet, there's no punishment of karet for failure to bring it. Dochet Shabbat, still you do it on Shabbat. Pesach she'anosh karet enodin shtochet Shabbat Pesach, which carries the punishment of karet. If you don't do it, certainly, is doche Shabbat. So, by the way, how many different arguments did Hillel bring to support his position that you offer up korban Pesach on Shabbat? It's unclear if there is two or three because it's unclear if the red one is really just explicating this olive green one. So let's look back at the olive green one and says and see what he's saying. His first take to them was, do you think there's only one Pesach? There's 200 Pesachim every year that are Doche Shabbat. What is he talking about? 200 Pesachim. What does that mean? So Rashi explains what he means is that you always bring a Korban Tamid every Shabbat. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. Times 50, that's 100. Plus, what's the Musaf of Shabbat? Uviyom Shabbat, or if it helps, Uviyom 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 Hashabbat. Right? Shnei Chvasim B'nei Shanat Mimim. Another two lambs, which means every Shabbat there's four lambs that are offered, two for the Tamid, and in between those two, two for Musaf. Four times fifty is two hundred. So Hillel says you're bringing two hundred korbanot on Shabbat throughout the year. So Pesach's no different. So it's unclear whether or not that's part of this red argument, the Gzeira Shava, or something else. We're going to take it apart. So let's hear the rest of the story. Immediately they made Hillel the head of the Sanhedrin. Okay, now by the way, we're going to find out in a minute what day this is. It's a really dramatic day. What was he teaching all day? He was teaching Echot Pesach to everybody. And this is something we don't like to hear about Hillel, but Hillel started harassing the students or the other members of the Sanhedrin. What did he say? What do you think caused it that I should make Aliyah from Bavel and become a Nasi over you? I mean, think about what that means. We are Israeli. We are Jerusalemites. We have grown up around the Beit HaMikdash. And this guy is an outsider from Chutzlaretz, makes Aliyah, and we had to appoint him the head because he knew something we didn't know. So Hillel teases them about that. Why do you think that happened? You guys were lazy. You didn't properly study with or apprentice the two great teachers of the generation, Now, by the way, it's important to note, when did Hillel make Aliyah from Bavel? He made Aliyah from Bavel before he studied with Shmaya Vav Talion because they're in Yerushalayim. 
after all, I mean, besides the fact that we know that from elsewhere, he's saying to these people, you guys didn't take advantage of Shmaevav Talion's wisdom and learn from them. So that's why you needed me. You guys are lazy bums. So that means Hillel made Aliyah from Bavel. And there's one Midrash that says he made Aliyah from Bavel when he was 40. And then he studied with Shmaevav Talion. And then when he was 80, he became, that's according to one Midrash, that divides his life into three sections of 40. And he became the, the head of the Sanhedrin. So Amrulo, now by the way, this is a telling thing. Hillel is lording it over the rest of the rabbis, the fact that he was the one who had the information and they didn't. Amrulo, Rebbe, Shachach Sakin Merv Shabbat Mahu. Okay, fine, Rabbi, you got all the answers. What happens, and I'm, I'm trying to say it in that way because that's what's happening here. What happens if the guy forgot to bring his knife on Erev Shabbat? Remember we had that in the Mishnah? Amarlahan, he said, halachazu shamati v'shachachti. Which means, I can't figure it out using my own reasoning. I heard from Shmaevav Talyon what that halacha is, and I forgot. Aha. Elahanachlahan. And now he says something that, by the way, Solomon Shechter turned into an entire approach to communal life. Hanachlahan li Yisrael, levatam Yisrael. Am Yisrael, leave it to them. If they're not prophets, they're the children of prophets. In other words, Am Yisrael instinctively knows what to do. It's something that Salman Shechter turned into a theory that he called um, Catholic Israel, but we'll leave that one alone. Um, and so he said, Am Yisrael knows what to do. All right, Lamachar, the next day, Mi Anybody whose Pesach was a lamb, the owner stuck the knife into the wool and then walked the lamb up to the Beit HaMikdash, and that's how he got the knife up. Misha Pishchok Dib, if on the other hand, somebody had a Pesach that was a goat, Tochvo Ben Karnavi, stuck it between the horns. In other words, people had an, had an idea of how to do things, which, by the way, is very strange. Step back from the story a second, and you'll see how strange it is, because, remember, this whole thing starts because... Nobody knows what the halacha is when Pesach falls on Shabbat. And we need Hillel to come up and, uh, and give us three different arguments why we bring the Quran Pesach, and then the back and forth and the haranguing. And then finally Hillel says, by the way, Am Yisrael knows what to do in this case. Which means they didn't know whether or not you bring Korban Pesach on Shabbat, but they knew that when you do bring Korban Pesach on Shabbat, the way you do it is you stick the knife in the wool. You see there's a problem here. A little difficult. Um, Hillel saw what they were doing and he was reminded of the halacha. That's what I heard from Shmaya meaning he had been taught this lesson, but he forgot it, which is his comeuppance for nailing them for not learning with enough intensity. And, um, and he says, Oh, now I see what they're doing. By the way, that is the halacha. That's what I heard from Shmaya Rav Talion. Am Yisrael is doing the right thing. All right. And that's the story here in the Bavli. Okay. Now, this story itself has several components. The first component is the setting. The second component is the discussion about who's going to solve the problem. The third is Hillel's answer. The fourth is Hillel's um, arguments in favor of the answer. The fifth component of this 
is the back and forth discussion after they've solved the problem. And the sixth is this conclusion where they're all dependent on the people's wisdom and memory. Okay. This same story shows up, sort of same story, shows up in the Talmud Yerushalmi, as we say in Subra Croatian, Afanort, right here on the spot. You didn't know I spoke Subra Croatian. All right. Now, this is from the Venice print of the Yerushalmi, the older print of the Yerushalmi, um, based on, of course, the one manuscript we have, the Yerushalmi, Ktavia Biden. So the elders forgot this halacha. Same problem, no, no difference. I'm rude. Now, now they said that they didn't, instead of saying, Is there anybody who knows? Right away they went to the answer. There's a Babylonian, the Hillel Shmo. Right? He was a student of Shmai Talion. He knows. Now, by the way, in the Bavli, it was, maybe he knows. Now it was, we heard that there's a guy who actually knows the answer. Okay? Which, by the way, is very strange, because if we know that he knows the answer, how come we don't know what that answer is? It's a, it's a binary function. Either it is doche or not doche. There's not a, no range. Ifshar, shiesh menu tochelet. Now, that word ifshar is a very interesting spelling because it can be read as it's possible, or and also it can be read as it's impossible. We're going to see how that plays out. It's possible we will get some help from him. So let's take some, let's call this guy in. And by the way, the way they're regarding Hill and both stories at the beginning is as some sort of an outsider who is a student. Have you ever heard in your life what to do when Pesach falls on the 14th, when on Shabbat? Amar lahen, and he said, And remember this in the Bavli? He said, we don't have just one Pesach. He says, we have a number of Pesachs that are Doche Shabbat B'chol Shana. And now watch the Yushalmi's comment. Some people have a version that Hillel said, there's a hundred Pesachim every Shabbat. Every year on Shabbat. Some people actually have a version that says 200. And some people said that Hillel said 300. So there's three versions of the story. What did Hillel say? There's 100 Pesachs every year, 200 Pesachs every year, 300 Pesachs every year. Let's see. Whoever said 100, he was talking about Tamid. There's a Korban Tamid every morning and every afternoon. So every Shabbat, there's two of them. Times 50 is 100. Again, rounding off to 50 Shabbatot. Mandamar Mataim, if you count 200, Tmidin Umusfei Shabbatot. That's the number we use. Mandamar Shloshmiot, if you say 300, then Tmidin Umusfei Shabbat Shal Yamim Tovim, Think about this. Every day of Pesach, there is a Musaf of 10 animals. And every day of Sukkot, there's a Musaf of way more than ten that, than that. And every Rosh Chodesh, you've got a Musaf of 10 animals. So whenever those things fall on Shabbat, and there's always one day of Pesach and always one day of Sukkot at Shabbat, sometimes two. So you have a lot. So he says, that's going to be the three. So whoever said 300 was counting all the Korbanot that ever brought on Shabbat during the year. Okay. Um, <clears throat> 
Amrulo, Kvar Amanu Now watch how it happens. Remember they said, it could be they said, we do have help from you or we don't have help from you. They said, oh, remember we said we'd have some hope from you? Great, you solved the problem, which means he gave the answer. Right? And then Hillel started explaining and defending his position based on three arguments. A hekesh, a kavachomer, and a gzerashavah. Now watch, what does hekesh normally mean? Equating things. What? Equating things. Equating things by virtue of juxtaposition. Hekesh is always, at least in the Gemara, is always juxtaposition, meaning two things are next to each other in the text, one teaches about the other. But you're right, here it's not that. Watch what happens. Mehakesh. Ho'il v'tamid korban sibur, Pesach korban sibur. He says, hey, think about it. The korban tamid is a public korban, and the Pesach is a korban, korban kind of, sort of. Ma tamid korban sibur shabbat. Just like the korban tamid is doche shabbat, Av Pesach korban sibur docheta shabbat. Okay. That sounds kind of like what he said above with the Gzera Shavat. Wait a second. Mikal v'chomer, what's that? Umayim tamid she'en chayvin al-siyato karet is what we have in the Bavli. You do not get a punishment of karet for not bringing the tamid. Dochet ha-shavat, we still bring it on Shabbat. Pesach she'chayvin al-siyato karet anodin she'techad Shabbat. Certainly Pesach, that you chayav karet, if you don't bring it, it should push off Shabbat. And then mi Gzera Shavat. What's Gzera Shavat? Namar betamid moado v'namar pesach moado. Ma tamid shemoado dochet ha-shabbat. A pesach shemar moado dochet ha-shabbat. Okay. It sounds good. Very happy. Everybody should go home and have their korban pesach. By the way, I forgot to mention, in the Bavli, when did the whole conversation take place? It took place on the 13th, on Friday. You realize that? Because remember it said, the next day they saw people coming in with their the knives in the wool. So the whole conversation took place on the 13th. Right. Let's see what happens here. Amrulo, kvar amarnu We said, are we going to have any hope from this bavli? Watch what they do. Hekeshamarta, and we're just going to read the first line of these for a minute. Hekeshamarta yishlo tshuva. Your your um, uh, analogy could be defeated. Kavachomer shamarta yishlo tshuva. Your kavachomer could be defeated. Zerashamarta, we could defeat that. In other words, in this version of the story. The rabbis counter every one of Hillel's arguments. What's the counter to the Hekesh? Lo, imamarta v'tamid shekein yeshlo kitzvah. After all, what was your Hekesh? Pesach is a korban sibur, and tamid is a korban sibur. Tamid is brought on Shabbat, so Pesach is brought on Shabbat. They said, yeah, but tamid, there's only two tamids. The whole community brings one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Pesach, there's a million of them. We're going to get to that soon in the Gemara, where they end up counting all the kidneys one time to see how many Korban Pesachs there were brought. The number's staggering. So just because you bring a Korban Tamid on Shabbat doesn't mean you want to a Korban Pesach. We can bring a challenge to your Kavachomer with the Karet. Think about this. What kind of a Korban is the Tamid? It's an Ola. An Ola is Holy of Holies. It's slaughtered on the north side. You have to put dam on all four walls of the Mizbeach. All the whole entire animal goes on the Mizbeach. Pesach, on the other hand, 
is shechted anywhere in the in the courtyard. One dam on the mizbeach. Most of it's eaten by people. So you're right. From from one perspective, korban pesach is more severe. The punishment for not doing it, but from the procedural perspective, korban tamid is more severe. Watch what they say. We're going to get to this. You're not allowed to make up a shava. You're making up a shava. Moado, moado. Let's see how this all plays out. And now we have an interlude that goes to much, much later, the end of the period of the Yerushalmi. The last generation of Yerushalmi, of the Chachmei Eretz Yisrael, who in Shalmi, the grand light of that generation is Rabbi Yossi Be'rav Bon. So here he is. And he says three things. You can see them. Amar b'shem Rabbi Abba bar Memel. Im ba'adam ladin achar gzerah shavah miyatzmo. If a person can start making up a gzerah shavah, anywhere he sees the same word in two different places, he connects them and has the halachot be the same. Oset asheretz metameh be'ohel. He could end up creating a reality where a dead sheretz is metameh be'ohel. In other words, you walk into a house and there's a dead sheretz in the corner and you're Tameh for seven days because you're under the same roof, which is preposterous. And you could also end up with, if you touched a tiny lentil-sized piece of a mate, you'd be Tameh. The, the shear for a mate is bigger than that. In other words, do darash, beged or, beged or. You have the phrase beged or in the context of tumat sheretz. And beget or in the context of tumah ka'adasha, and and you could then connect it with a mate, like zerashava. In other words, you all real. We all realize the minute the zerashava becomes open game, you can do anything. You can end up with the most preposterous results, right? As a matter of fact, you may remember this from Masachat Sanhedrin. One of the tests of a member of the Sanhedrin was his ability to use solipsism in order to prove ridiculous things. To show how brilliant he was. But the reality is, if a man is this famous thing of holding on to a sheretz when he goes to the mikvah, tovel sheretz biado, it's like somebody who's doing tshuva, uh, and they get to the tshuva uh, conference in a stolen car, and they're doing tshuva for theft. Tovel v'sheretz biado. But the minute he throws it out of his hand, he's tahor. Rabbi Yossi Berabun b'shem Rabbi Arba Bar Memel says, "Adam dan gzerah shava lekayim talmudo." You're allowed to create a gzerah shava to support existent law, meaning the law is already there. We have mesor with the laws. You can make up a gzerah shava in order to support it. The ain't adam dan gzerah shava levatel talmudo, but you can't make a gzerah shava to retract the received law. And the last thing is. Rabbi Yossi be Rabbi Bun b'shem Rabbi Abba bar Memel Adam dan kalva chomer liatzmo. A kalva chomer you could create on your own. Ve'ein adam dan gzerah shava liatzmo. But you're not allowed to make up a gzerah shava on your own. We're going to see about this uh, and, and about these midot and where they come from. L'fichach mishivin mikalva chomer. Therefore, if somebody makes a kalva chomer, you can challenge it. Because kalva chomer is based simply on logic. Simply on reasoning. You can counter it with other reasoning. The aim machine shava, but if somebody has a gzera shava, you can't really challenge it. Because the man can't bring the gzera shava without having 
a tradition from his teacher that it works. So what seems to be happening in this period is, let's put the reins on this Zerah Shabbat thing because it's getting out of control. And the source for that seems to be in this story, what the rabbi said to Hillel, you can't make Moado Moado because you're not allowed to make up a Zerah Shabbat. That seems to be where it's coming from. We'll see things are not so simple. So in this version of the story, remember in the Bavli version, they asked Hillel what the deal is. He said, we bring hundreds of Pesachim every year. They said, what are you talking about? He said, Zerah Shabbat. Then he said, Kalvachomer. And they immediately made him the Nasi. And then he started harassing them. And then they, they said, what do you do with the knife? That story. Watch the version of Yerushalmi. Even though he sat all day and brought arguments, which means they did not accept his halacha that you bring Korban Pesach on Shabbat. What was the clincher when he said, that's an oath. What carried the day for Hillel? Not reasoning, not his arguments, not textual evidence, but Masorah. This is what I heard from my Rabbeim. We do bring Korban Pesach on Shabbat. Then they said, okay. Once they heard that, now, by the way, this is drastically different than the Bavli, because in the Bavli, his arguments won the day and won in the position. In the Yushalmi, his arguments were countered and his arguments were ignored until finally he said, I have a tradition from Shmai Bav Talyon, and then they appointed him as Nasi. But here the story is the same. Once he became the Nasi, he started harassing them. Why do you think you needed this Babylonian, me? You had right here and you didn't learn from them. That's why. Very similar to our piece. Now notice the Rishalmi is much more, uh, much more acerbic on this. Once he started harassing them, them he forgot a halacha. In the Bavli's version, he was harassing them, and then they asked him a question he didn't know. But here, it's like a punishment for his inappropriate speech to the other rabbis, and so he forgot a halacha. It's uh, kind of similar to a story with Shmuel, just a quick aside. When Shaul, remember the story, Shaul, God makes a shidduch between Shaul and Shmuel because uh, Shmuel is supposed to appoint a Navi. So God says, tomorrow I'm going to send the man who's going to be the, sorry, Melech. I'm going to appoint the man who's going to be the Melech, the Nagid, to you. So the next day, Shaul starts roaming around the countryside looking for his father's donkeys. And long story short, he ends up coming to Ramah, where Shmuel is. And they don't know what each other looks like, right? Uh, this is before they had uh, picture phones. You could only talk on the phone. and. Um, and so he comes to Ramah and he says, Hayesh Zeharoeh, is the Roeh, the seer here. And Shmuel says, Anochi Haroeh, I'm the seer. Okay, good. Oh, okay, you're the seer. Good. And you know where the donkeys are. Don't worry about the donkeys. You own everything. You're going to be king. Okay, and he becomes king. That comes back to hit Shmuel when Shmuel, at the after Shaul's career, has been failed and the whole Amalek debacle. 
and Shmuel is sent to Beit Lechem to appoint a new king and anoint a new king. And he's sent to Yishai's family, and God says one of his sons will be the king. And Shmuel sees the first son, who is tall and strapping, and he says, oh, ach, neged Adonai Mishicho, that must be him. And God says to him, that's not him. Notice the use of the word. It's not the way man looks. Man looks with his eyes, but God looks in the heart. But notice the repeated use of Ro'at. He's giving Musa to Shmuel. You don't see anything. You see what I show you. Don't call yourself the seer. You're not a seer. You see what I show you. And so here, in the same way in the Rishalmi, Hillel was badgering them for not being attentive enough to Shmaya Vabtalyon, and the punishment was he forgot a halacha. Amrulo, mala sot What should we do for the people if they didn't bring their knives? He said, This, I forgot this halacha. Leave it to Israel, they know what they're doing. If they're not prophets, they are sons of prophets. Miyad. Now, what does Miyad mean? It means immediately. Meaning this conversation is taking place on the 14th. Second place, Anybody whose Pesach was a lamb, he stuck the knife into the wool. But if it was a, a goat, he put it between the horns. So what happened as a result? The Pesach brought its own knife. He saw it, he remembered, and he said, that's what I heard from Shmaya Vabtalyon, which, by the way, remember, in the Ushalmi's version, that was the only thing that got him elevated. After all of his arguments, the only thing that got him elevated was when he said, I heard this from Shmaya Vabtalyon, and then here, that when he saw them bringing the knives that way, he said, oh, yeah, that's what I heard from Shmaya Vabtalyon. Good. So we've heard two versions of the story. But of course, where does it all come from? Let's remember that the Talmud Bavli was, went through process and editing, etc., and finally reached the form that we know of it somewhere in the 6th or 7th century. Hillel was BCE, a few years BCE, but BCE. The Ushalmi, all right, the end of the 4th century. So let's get closer to the date. We're going to look at the Tosefta. The Tosefta, and we've talked about Tosefta in the past. The Tosefta is third century, middle third century. It's a little later than the Mishnah. And this is where the story starts. We're going to its earliest source. Pamachat, Chalarbas, and now notice, Liot Shabbat, and Sha'aluat Hillel Now, what, right away, what's different about this story? One time, the 14th fell on Shabbat, and they asked Hillel, so what's different here than in the other two versions we saw? Here it doesn't say that the Rabbanim didn't know. Exactly. And B'nai B'teir aren't mentioned here at all. Very good. There's nothing about they didn't know what to do. And they said, oh, and there's a student and he studied with Shmai Talion, and maybe he knows and let's ask him. And he came from Bavel. None of that. In this story, Hillel HaZakein is already Hillel HaZakein. They didn't know what to do, so they turned to the elder. They said, Pau Pesach Shabbat. Now, what did he say? Is there only one Pesach? Now, remember this? 
There's more than 300, a lot more than 300. But this is one of the versions in the Yishalmi. So what happened? They're in the Azara. They're in the courtyard. This is happening on Pesach. And everybody's there. And they all start making a big tumult. Amar lahem, tamid korban sibur, u Pesach korban sibur. Right? The tamid is a public korban. And Pesach is a kor- public korban. Ma tamid korban sibur v'dochet ha-shabbat, Pesach korban sibur v'dochet ha-shabbat. Davar acher. Now it's unclear whether davar acher is something that Hillel is saying or that Tosefta is adding in later. And I'm going to suggest this is a later addition. Nemar b'tamid mo'ado v'nemar b'pesach mo'ado. That's our Gzeir HaShavah, right? Same word in two places. Ve'od, kalvachomer. Right? And the same kalvachomer with karet. Ve'od. Now, by the way, this is the only source we have with four, four arguments. Mikublani mirabotai shepesach tochet HaShavah. I have a tradition from my teachers. The pesach tochet HaShavah. V'lo pesach rishon, not just regular pesach, ela pesach sheni. You know, if you were Tamei and you couldn't bring Pesach Rishon, you're allowed to come four weeks later and bring, sorry, four, uh, four weeks and two days later and bring Pesach, or a day later and bring Pesach Sheni. And if that falls on Shabbat, you do it. Even if you're bringing it as an individual, let's say Pesach Sheni, you bring it also on Shabbat. Amrulo, what are we going to do? So what are we going to do for all these people that didn't bring their Korban Pesach and their knives to the Mikdash? This is on Shabbat now. It's the day, like the Rishalmi. Amar ruach hakodesh aleihem. Look at the language. They have the Holy Spirit on them. Am Yisrael are prophets or sons of prophets. Ma Yisrael asu Yisrael You see, it's that. It's, it's happening. Which means, by the way, it sounds like all of Am Yisrael is out there somewhere outside of Yerushalayim or in Yerushalayim, and they're waiting to hear, do we bring the Pesach on Shabbat? And the word went out that Hillel said, we do. He said, okay, great. Now what do we do? It's the same solution. And they're able to bring their korban, and the and the knife and they shechted. Notice in the Tosefta, in this version, Hillel is only appointed at the end. In the other versions, Hillel was appointed as soon as he made the point, and then they he started challenging them, and they challenged back. Notice none of that happens here. He's appointed only at the end. There is no haranguing back and forth. There is no forgetting. And the whole B'nai B'teira piece at the beginning? Okay. So... Now, is this the same source where he started as Hillel Zakain uh, and now he becomes Hillel Nasi? Yeah. He's already Hillel Zakain at the beginning of this. Correct. As opposed to, And he's not... There's no mention of Bavel, Aliyami Bavel. There is no mention even of Shmai Vav Talion. There's just Rabotai. Right? And there's no mention of, oh, there's a guy Hillel. He learned Shmai Vav Talion. Maybe he'll have the answer. It's a it's a very different, it's the same, you can tell it's the same story. But what's left out and what's added in is is dramatic. So let's see what's happening here. 
We're only going to be able to start our analysis. So next week, what I'll do is do a quick, quick recap of this story in the three versions. And uh, then we'll go further in our analysis. But I want to start, because we have about eight minutes to go, I want to start with the Gzeirah Shavak, because that is really the key to this whole story. All right. Now, we are all familiar with Source 8, I think. Source 8 look familiar? Every morning. All right. Rabbi Ishmael Omer. By the way, where is this found? Where is this found? So I know somebody's going to say in my sitter, but where is it found? Where, where did it come from? So it is, it is published and written in the introduction to Torah Kohanim in every version. Torah Kohanim is the Midrash Tanaim, the Midrash Halacha on Vayikra. It is the most important book of Midrash Halacha, so much so that it was called in the Bavli, it's called Sifra, the book. The other is Shar Sifri, the other books. Torah Konim is the book. And, in, in, and by the way, the Sifra itself is from the school of Rabbi Akiva, which is odd because the introductory paragraph, which is this, but it's longer than this, is from the school of Rabbi Ishmael. And Rabbi Ishmael said there's 13 different textual uh, derivation tools that we use to interpret the Torah. And you notice the version there is Mikol Vachomer, right? It's called Vachomer, what we call, and Mikzera Shava, and there's 11 others. I'm not going to go into what they are, but I want you to see that the Brita doesn't end here. And it doesn't end with Yehiratzom Fanecha and Kaddish. Right after this, the Brita goes on. What does it do? Mikavachomer Ketzad. What's a Kavachomer look like? Right, they bring the famous story about Miriam and the seven days. All right, and Mikzerah Shava. What does that look like? They give examples of all thirteen. The Brita is way longer than we're accustomed to. That's Rabbi Ishmael. Okay, now Rabbi Ishmael is not the first one to come up with Midot. You know who the first one to come up with Midot is? Right there. And this, by the way, is printed in the Sifra before Rabbi Shema. Okay, Hillel Hazakain, Darash Sheva Midot. Meaning, he presented seven tools of derivation, not 13, but seven. Lifnei, you see it? Ziknei B'Tera. So here, that Ziknei B'Tera, the Bnei B'Tera, come back into our story from a different place. That Hillel presented these seven methods of derivation in the presence of the elders of Beterah. What's the first one? Kalvachomer. What's the second one? Gzerah Shava. Now, what is a Kalvachomer? How does it work? Because to be honest with you, a Kalvachomer is not one, but two midot. How does a Kalvachomer work? And you'll see what I mean why it's, why it's two midot. Well, if it's true in one case, it seems obvious that it would be true in another case. Okay, but now we got to be a little tighter. And let's give some examples to see in what direction our derivation is working. All right, it, if I stand up. If it's a stringent, stringency, if it's true in a lesser case, a less important case, it seems like it would be true in a more important case. So if I'm obligated to stand up for my older brother, would you say it's a reasonable kalvachomer to say I should have to stand up for my father? 
Yes. Okay, good. So in other words, that which applies in a minor case, a stringency that applies in a minor case, certainly applies in a major case. Right. What's the reverse of that? Uh, the opposite. If it's a leniency, so give me an example. That apply, if it's a leniency that applies in a more important case called the home error, it would be lenient to uh, uh, the leniency Good. should apply in the lesser case. Good. Give me an example. Uh, just the opposite, I suppose. Good. If you don't have to stand for your father, then you shouldn't have to stand for your brother. Good. Okay. I was going to say. If I'm allowed to open up a can on Shabbat, I'm certainly allowed to open up a can on Yom Tov. Is that pretty reasonable? Not that bad, right? Right. Okay, good. So Kavachomer is really two things, but we're, we're, we're playing it as one, okay? Um, what's what is, so what, is, what do the words Kavachomer mean? Kavachomer. What do the words mean? Either easy and difficult or easier and more material. Light, light and heavy. Light to heavy. Serious and less serious, more serious. Um, uh, right. Okay. So now, what are the words Xerah Shavah mean? What is the Xerah? A decree. Okay. A Xerah is a decree. Okay. Or a law. What does Shavah mean? Equal. Good. So now, following the logic of a Kavachomer, how should a Shavah work? Forget about what you know about Gzeirah Shavah. How should a Shavah work following the logic of a Kavachomer? Uh, two similarities instead of one, one stronger and one weaker. Exactly. If two things are similar, then what I know about one, I should be able to apply to the other. Okay. So for instance, I'm just making this up. So for instance, um, if we say that my entering the precincts of the Mikdash when I'm Tameh, carry with it a chiyuv karet. That's true, I'm not making that up. If I go in knowingly into the precincts of the Mikdash and I'm Tameh, I'm chayav karet. And if I eat kodashim in that same state, I'm chayav karet. Okay, good. So that makes the two circumstances the same or parallel. Now, if you tell me that um, if I go into the precincts of the Mikdash unknowingly, I forgot I was Tameh, I have to bring a special korban called Olevi Ored. What can I now derive? Same should apply if I ate kodshim and I didn't know it was tamay. Right? And that's what Xerashoah should be. Bereft of text. You're looking at me like I'm out of my mind. That's fine, because we've all grown up with Xerashoah being kesef, kesef, misteafron. Chamishasar, chamishasar. Moado, moado. Right? So please watch and we'll end with this Mishnah. Um, and here's an example of Zerashavah given in the, in the commentary on the Brayta. Zerashavah Ketzad, Nemar b'shomer sachar im lo shalach yado, v'nemar b'shomer chinam im lo shalach yado. All right, so we're talking about two different kinds of bales of, of Shomrim. 
And it has the same phrase in Moshe Lach Yado. Ma Shomer Sachar, just like a hired Baelish in Amar Boim, Moshe Lach Yado, Patar Bota Yorshin. If my father was a Shomer Sachar, and then he died while watching the item, I am exempt from the oath. So I do the same thing with a Shomer Chinam because the same phrase. That's a familiar Gzera Shavai, isn't it? Same phrase in two halachot. I take what I know from one, I apply it to the other. I want to show you a different example, though. And we're going to come back to this at the beginning of next week. Um, the Mishnah in Masachat Beitzah. And we're just going to look at this Mishnah. Beit Shammai Omrim. Ein molichin chala umatanot lakohen b'yom tov. Masachat Beitzah is Masachat Yom Tov. You're not allowed to bring chala or the matanot, parts of an animal that you shechted, to a kohen on Yom Tov. You shechted an animal on Yom Tov, you're allowed to do it, and you put aside the parts for the kohen, you're not allowed to go bring it to the kohen. All right, I got four kohen staring at me saying, why not? Whether or not you separated them before Yontif or today, say you may. You see it? What's Beit argument that you're not allowed to? What's that? So Chala is a gift to the Kohen. Isn't Truma also a gift to the Kohen? Just like you can't bring truma to the Kohen, we all agree, on Yontif, so you also can't bring matanot. Now notice, what pasuk did Beit Shammai use? You're absolutely right. He did not use a pasuk at all. There's no text words. You see, it's all in the same font. No weird colors or anything. What did Beit Shammai, what was their argument? Their argument was not based on a text. Their argument was based on qualities and characteristics of the law. We know that truma is a gift to the Kohen. We know that chala is a gift to the Kohen. We also know the law that you're not allowed to bring truma to the Kohen and Yom Tov, so it follows that you can't bring chala to the Kohen and Yom Tov. And Beit Hillel's answer is, lo imamartem batruma she'eno zakai baharamatam, Beit Hillel counters within the reasoning. And he says, your reasoning is flawed because the two are not significantly enough alike. Or shall we say there's a significant enough distinction to, to put a line between them. Yeah, but you can okay. make the argument, you can make the argument that truma is really not a gift, it's a chiyuv. Right. You have to get X, per, X percent of the coin. It's not a, right. It's so not that, a, so Beit Hillel kind, Hill, Hill kind of goes in that direction of saying they're not the same. I'm not so concerned with Truma and Matanot here. What I am concerned with is you see a Gzeirah and it's a very early Gzeirah This is Beit Shammai Hilla. That's early. And you see in this Gzeirah there's no Psukim. There's no Moado Moado. There's no Kesef Kesef. There's just reasoning based on similar qualities in the two Halachot. Mm-hmm. What we're going to see is how this and the development of the Gzeirah impacted on mm-hmm. what happened to our Tosefta in the Ushami and the Bavli. So we're going to see all of that next week. All right, everybody should uh, stay healthy. Yeah, take care. You mentioned, you mentioned in passing the 1.2 million kidneys. You want to address that today or next week? Um, Hyperbole. We'll talk, we'll talk about it next week. It's, it seems to be uh, Guzma, but you know, right. Okay, good.